going to read one verse to get started with. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6. David said, But in my distress, I cried. Say cried. I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God. Is there anybody in the house this morning can call Him your God? I prayed to my God for help. And He heard me from His sanctuary. My cry to Him reached His ears. I want to preach to you this morning a message. I'm actually going to do a series because I got too much. When I started studying on Friday, I thought... I can't preach everything in one Sunday. Aren't y'all glad I don't try to preach everything in one Sunday? We're still here a long time anyway, aren't we? Amen. But I want to preach to you this morning part one of a two-part message. I've just simply titled, Help. Say help. Say it like you need it. Say help. All right. This morning I'm going to preach to you part one. Let us pray. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we just thank you for your presence that is so very real in this house this morning. We thank you, God, that you are our help. You are our strength. And God, we just ask you today, Lord, as we come before you, that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I wouldn't speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that, Lord, I would speak the word that you've given me today and that your word would come forth in the power, in the demonstration of your spirit. I pray you would anoint every ear to hear what you're speaking to us today. Lord, lost and saved alike, I pray you'd anoint every ear to hear what you're speaking to us today. You would anoint every heart to receive your word. And God, more than anything, I ask you that before we leave this house today, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, that is not right with you, if there's anybody in this room that is struggling with a situation or a circumstance in their life today, I pray, God, before we leave this house today, they would find their help in your sanctuary this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated today. When I was preparing for this on Friday, uh, I just began to, some of y'all will appreciate this. I think Lonnie is my, uh, he's my lyrics guy. He remembers song lyrics uh, to, guy, to songs years ago, so maybe he'll remember this one. Uh, but in August, and this is kind of an unconventional way to start a sermon, I realize that, but you'll understand it in just a minute. In August of 1965, which was just five short years after the British band, the Beatles, got started. How many remembers the Beatles? Some of you won't admit it, but you remember. The Beatles released a new album, and the title track was written by John Lennon. The title track song was titled, Help, and the lyrics went something like this. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, can anybody relate to that? I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? Does anybody remember that song? Now I want to ask you this, even if you don't remember that song, has anybody ever been there? I said, has anybody in the house this morning ever 
been there. In need of help. And when I was a little bit younger, I felt like I didn't need anybody's help in any way. I lost my daddy when I was nine years old and I became the man of the house to my mom and my sister and I had to do all the man things by myself and I felt like I had to protect them and I didn't need anybody's help. I was, I was just, I could handle it all. That's what I thought. And then I realized a little later in life that help was essential. And do you remember maybe when you were young, some of y'all, did any of y'all remember that? A lot of y'all are young anyway. Do, but do you remember when you were young and you thought you knew it all? Anybody remember when you thought you could do it all? And the Beatles had this awakening and encapsulating, if you will, song that had a cry that we all utter at some point, help. And I think the word help is so overused that we underestimate its power. David used this word, as I studied on Friday, I realized he used this word on at least, probably more, but at least nine different occasions just in the Psalms. And each time that he used it, it was a part of a simple and yet profound prayer. Here's just a few examples. First of all was our main text I read to you this morning, Psalm 18 and 6. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. Then Psalm 109 and 26, he said, Help me, O Lord my God. Save me because of your unfailing love. It was a simple prayer. Help. Say help. There was nothing eloquent or impressive about these prayers that David prayed, and yet they were so simple, but they were also desperate calls for God's assistance. How many knows what it means to be desperate? Webster defines the word desperate as feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Desperate. So I want to talk this morning about those prayers and how they offer great hope to us because they teach us several things about help. So I want to talk about this morning, first of all, the help prayer. That's what I'm going to call it, the help prayer. First of all, can I tell you, it is the perfect prayer. The prayer for help is the perfect prayer. The simple prayer of help needs no elaboration. It needs no explanation. It's simply perfect because with one word, it sums up the need, the emotion, the desperation, and the expectation. Somebody help me preach this morning. It is suitable and applicable for every single situation. It is appropriate for good days as well as bad days. It can be prayed in life or death situations, but it can also be prayed in just moments of simple resistance. It will work when you pray it over tragedies in your life as well as when you pray it over just a bad day. Has anybody ever had just a bad day? Listen, the prayer of help, its power is not diminished by the situation. That's what's awesome about it. The scope of the word will either expand or it will shrink to match the specific need. So it is the perfect prayer. Secondly, 
And I love this. It fits any person. It not only fits any situation, but it also fits any person. Sinner or saint. I'm about to preach to you. Well-spoken, a well-spoken person, or a person that has very little vocabulary. Regardless of education, socioeconomic status, position in life, whether learned or unlearned, whether not yet saved or already saved, it is a universal prayer that God will hear from every person. We have all and we will all pray this prayer at some point in our life. Help. King or fugitive, it works. Hmm. Hero of the faith or a forgotten backslider. I came to tell you this morning, it still works when you cry out to God for help. And, and you may say, why are you talking about that? Listen, I don't know if you realize it or not, but our church has taken on a new dynamic, an awesome dynamic this year. Uh, we have about 500 and some odd people that call this church home. 400 plus which attend on a regular Sunday morning basis between two services. And approximately, if you didn't realize it or not, 100 to 150 of you are either just beginning your walk with Jesus or you're just getting reacquainted with Jesus. So is it alright if I preach this morning to help some of those folks? And I got a feeling it's going to help some of y'all that think you had it all figured out as well. It's important because sometimes we feel inadequate when we address God, don't we? Sometimes we feel like uh, we hear others pray their pretty prayers or their eloquent words. And then if we're not real careful, the temptation is for those of us that have maybe not been in church a long time or just getting our feet wet and following Jesus, the temptation is uh, when we hear that and we, we don't know what to say. We feel like we don't know what to say when we begin, begin to pray and talk to God. And so the temptation is to avoid praying and specifically to avoid praying out loud. So somebody else doesn't hear us because we feel like our prayer can't match their prayer. But is it all right if I teach you how to pray this morning? Is that all right? Let me tell you something that works. When you go, help! Jesus, I need you. Help! And when you cry help, he'll show up on the scene every single time in your life. It fits every person. And then thirdly, it's the most answered prayer. There is unexpected help. When I got into that on Friday, I realized I didn't have time to go into everything. So that's what we're going to talk about next week is unexpected help. But however, most of the time, most help comes as a direct result of a request. In fact, I would submit to you that many of us don't get help because we fail to ask for it. All you have to do is to go back through this book and examine the life of Jesus Christ and consider all the miracles, divine intervention or help that you find and think about how many of those moments of help 
took place as the direct result of a prayer or a request for help. He turned water into wine at a wedding at the request of his mother. He healed a blind man as the direct result of a request for help. Blind Bartimaeus, as Jesus was passing by, cried out and said, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He healed the lepers due to a petition for help. He calmed the storm because the disciples cried out for help. I love this one. He saved Peter when Peter began to sink because Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And sometimes in this life, how many knows, sometimes we find ourselves sinking because we did something that brought it on ourselves. But I'm thankful this morning for the grace and mercy of God that even when Peter cried out after taking his eyes off Jesus and he said, Lord, save me, instantaneously Jesus reaches down his hand and pulls Peter up. He fed the 5,000 because they let it be known that they were hungry. And he went to Jairus' house and he healed his daughter. Because Jairus came and asked him to. He raised from the dead the widow of Nain's son. Because she came face to face in contact with Jesus and asked him to do so. So you'll probably hear me say this again today and next week. But I truly believe that we have not because we ask not. And perhaps you haven't received the help that you desire in your life because you have failed to request the specific help that you need. But I have good news for you. If you need help from God this morning, you're in the right place at the right time. You can request the help you need and you can get it today. And now with those things said, let me share four very important things about receiving help from God. First of all, can I tell you this morning that God still wants to help. I said God still wants to help. We hear David cry out for help, but we also see that God responds with assistance. And he testifies of this in Psalm 118 in verse 13. Let's see if this is the right verse this morning. I was pushed back. I gave him the wrong verse at 845. David said, I was pushed back and about to fall but the Lord helped me. Can anybody testify to that this morning? I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. We read multiplied accounts of God's intervention in the lives of the children of Israel. We read on occasion after occasion of parted seas, manna fallen from heaven, food on the ground, victories in the face of impossible odds, healing from sickness, and then we turn this book over to the New Testament. And we discover that everywhere, as I studied the ministry of Jesus on Friday, I recognize that everywhere Jesus went, He helped. Have you ever thought about that? I sat at my desk in my home office in my chair and I leaned back and I said, I wish the church looked like that. Oh, y'all getting quiet up in here today. Lost your Pentecost when I said that. I wish the church looked like that. Everywhere we go, people find help. I said, I wish the church looked like that. 
If you study the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, everywhere he went, he helped. In fact, one passage, it says that Jesus healed all their sick. He helped with healing. He helped with taxes. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. He helped the defenseless defend themselves. Let me give you an example. Like the woman caught in the act of adultery. Not the woman that people said she'd been committing adultery. The woman they walked in on, on the act. See, the church, I'm going to preach to this for just a minute, has got so self-righteous that instead of being a source of help, we want to look at people and condemn them in their sin. And say that they're experiencing what they deserve because of the lifestyle they're living in. But let me tell you something this morning. That's not the way Jesus looked at them. That's not the way Jesus saw it. And that's not the way we should look at them. And that's not the way we should see them. He looked on the woman in the act of adultery. When she could have been stoned because she was caught in the act. And he looked at all the rest of them and he said, all of y'all around here without sin. You throw the first stone. Hmm. Now, if I said that, some of y'all might throw some stones because I ain't Jesus. But if Jesus was standing there, knowing that he knows what nobody else knows about you, let that sink in. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows the things that you do in secret. And if Jesus was standing there, you'd have dropped your stone too. And then he let her go. He helped. He healed bodies. He healed minds. He healed souls. He healed families. We read about him healing finances. Jesus helped. I just want to remind you today because I think sometimes we forget he still wants to help you today. When John the Revelator finished out the book of Revelation and closed the book and that was it, Jesus didn't stop helping then. His help wasn't over. He still wants to help you today. We quote the passage of Scripture that teaches that God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. However, we fail to apply that truth to the help equation in our lives. But can I tell you this morning that if God helped Moses, He'll help you. If God came to David's rescue, see, Moses killed the Egyptian. He wasn't a perfect man. David committed adultery. This will make some of y'all feel good about yourself. The Bible said David was a man after God's own heart, but in one passage of Scripture, he committed adultery. In another passage of Scripture, he had the man killed. He was a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you this morning, if he came to David's rescue, he'll come to your rescue. If he backed up the three Hebrew children, he'll come to you when you're going through the fire in your life. If he healed the sick, if you'll trust him and ask him, he might just heal you. And if he provided for the hungry, he'll provide for you. You have to not only know this truth, but you have to embrace it. You've got to believe it. You've got to trust it. You've got to depend on it. You've got to have faith in the fact that God still wants to help you today. 
Don't discount God's ability or desire to come to your rescue. The psalmist said in one of my most favorite verses of Scripture, Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1, he said, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help. You know what that means? All the time. An ever-present help in the time of trouble. I was studying on Friday. I came across a story. I was Googling, looking for a story, and this was not exactly what I was looking for, but man, it spoke to me, and I thought, am I feeling the Lord, or am I feeling my own emotion when I read this? But the story is about a retired firefighter, a New York City firefighter. His name was Lee Ilpe. He gave 26 years, and I gave Jordo a picture of him to put on the screen. It's got, actually got several images. He gave 26 years of his life to the city of New York, and he retired. But on September the 11th, 2001, he gave much more. He gave his son, Jonathan. His son was a firefighter as well. And when the Twin Towers fell, Jonathan was in there fighting the fire. And see, firefighters are a loyal clan. They may do this locally, I don't know, but I studied and, and read and found out that particularly in New York City, they may do it in other cities as well or even here, but when one firefighter perishes in the line of duty in New York City, the body is left where it is until another firefighter who knows that person comes and retrieves the body from the scene. And Lee Ilpe made the discovery of his son's body, his personal mission. He dug daily from September the 11th, 2001. He dug daily in that heap. If you've never been to Ground Zero, I encourage you to go there. It's a moving experience. But at this particular point in time, it was a 16-acre graveyard. And he dug daily until Tuesday, December the 11th, 90 days after the day his son perished in the disaster and his son was found. If you look at the bottom left-hand image in the corner, he is wearing his uniform holding the hat of his son after he carried his body out from the disaster. And he was there three months. Every day, three months later, he was there to carry his son's body out. And as I was reading that, that's what I, I began to be moved. And I thought, is this my own emotion or is it the Lord? But you hear me when your pastor says this to you this morning. Your Father in heaven has made it His personal mission to care for you, to carry you, to uncover you, if you will, to dig through all of the rubble, to dig His children out. He won't give up. He won't quit. He won't give in. Even when the enemy has already said you're as good as gone, God will be there every day digging, searching to uncover you. And carry you out. He won't relent in his pursuit of you. He will dig through your collapsed and crushed world to find you and carry you out. I came to tell somebody this morning. We used to sing a song in the old church, a choir song that said, Hold on, 
help is on the way. You might be here this morning and you may feel like, I feel like I've been buried under something for a while and nobody sees and nobody knows. You may feel like you just can't stand the pressure anymore and it's been a long time under there. But I came to tell you this morning, God sees. I said God sees and God knows and He's actively pursuing, actively digging and you just hold on. Don't give up. Don't give in. You just hold on. Help is on the way. And some of you right now, maybe you don't believe that or you're unsure about this because you're saying in your mind, I've asked him to help me before and he hasn't. Or maybe you're thinking I've depended on him and I haven't seen anything yet. So I don't, I don't know if I believe that God is going to help me or not. So why doesn't God help? Can I tell you this morning that in order to receive help from God, you've got to learn two things. First of all, you've got to come to the place, and hear me when I say this, where Jesus is your only option rather than one of your options. I'm convinced that the reason many of us don't see God's hand at work in our life is because we treat Him as one of our options rather than as treating Him as our only option. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, we don't fully rely on Him. We don't fully trust in Him. We don't really live our life as if He's the only way out. We say we depend on Him for provision, but then we live as if we are our hope and our answer. So we trust our job more than we trust our God. I'm going to preach right here up in this self-righteous church this morning. If you have to work on Sunday, or Wednesday night for that matter, that's one thing. But if you are choosing to work on Sunday or Wednesday night, and neglecting coming to the house of God, that might be one of your first answers as to why you're not getting the help you need right away. Well, ain't nobody going to help me preach on that. We say we depend on Him, but we refuse to tithe. It's going to get even quieter now. We refuse to tithe because we really aren't sure that this God option thing works. I can figure out this thing better than you can, God. It just, I just don't have enough left to do that. But we got more faith in our 401k than we do in Jehovah Jireh. Mm-hmm. You're only hurting ourselves. I done said it when I lifted the offering. We're only hurting ourselves when we don't tithe. We seek His healing power as an afterthought. We're not fully relying upon Him because the moment we get that diagnosis, immediately our trust and our confidence is placed in a man in front of us who's telling us how he's going to address it. Or a woman. Placing our trust in an earthly physician, and earthly physicians are wonderful. But they don't hold a candle to the great physician. Because with him, all things are possible. And then we seek counsel from every other source that we can find. And then at the end, if we don't get something that we like to hear, we ask God if he's got any ideas or thoughts about the situation. But can I tell you that Jesus always responds to the cry of desperation. Go ahead and search scripture this morning and find one time, just one, where Jesus responds to somebody who had other options in this book. 
That's why these stories are so great. All odds were against them. Everything looked impossible. You won't find one person. But likewise, you can also search through the Scriptures and see if you can find one example, just one, of Jesus turning a deaf ear or ignoring the cry of a desperate person. You cannot find one. I looked on Friday. I couldn't find one. No matter what he was doing, no matter where he was going, no matter what he had on his plate, when somebody stopped and cried out, Jesus stopped in his tracks. He turned around and addressed the problem. Some of you need to try that this morning and see if you can't stop God in his tracks and let him address your problem. He always responds to the cry of desperation. Could it be that the reason we aren't receiving help is because he hasn't really heard a cry of desperation, but he's heard a cry that says, if you can help me, fine. But if you can't, I'll find another solution. I'll come to you and hope for an answer, but I'll also make plans just in case I don't get one. Could it be that our lack of desperation results in a lack of deliverance? Maybe all of the contingency plans that we make reveal a lack of genuine faith. Trust, reliance in, and confidence on God. Jesus will come through when you recognize He's your only hope. Maybe if some of you would get really desperate for financial health, Jesus would show up and teach you how to find it. Maybe if some of you would get desperate enough for your marriage to be healthy, you'd get the assistance that you need. Jesus never responds well to, oh, by the way, some of you need to recognize this morning that unless Jesus shows up, your situation is helpless and hopeless. There is no other option. But maybe, just maybe, if some of us were desperate enough, we could stop Jesus in his tracks with our cry for help. Thirdly, you also got to recognize and accept his help. Maybe, just maybe, our issue isn't that God hasn't helped Perhaps our issue is that he's already done so and we've just failed to recognize or accept the method of his help. Maybe the reason you feel like he isn't responding to your cry for help this morning is because God hears your cry and then God shakes his head in frustration because he's already sent the answer and you've snubbed your nose at the answer he's given. I can think of one illustration in the Bible when this happened. If you know anything about Naaman the leper, Naaman gets the remedy that he desperately needs for his leprosy and then he gets angry. And left to his own hard-headedness, he would have failed to have gotten healed just simply because he disliked the means of the solution. Naaman was like, that dirty water? No way. Listen, I don't know about you, but that seems crazy to me. I feel like I would trade dirty water for healing any day. A little dip in dirty water for clean skin. If you want to put leprosy in modern day terms, a little dip in dirty water to get rid of our modern day AIDS disease. That's what it's comparable to. I'd be more like, get out of my way. I'm coming through to the muddy water. I'm getting in. But the truth is, if we really admit it, we're a lot like Naaman. We desperately cry out to God for help. Ask Him to do something and He gives us the solution and we won't do it. What do you mean, Pastor? We desperately cry out to God for help with our finances. But we're not willing 
to sell the new house or the new toy that we can't afford to make the payment on. I can't afford to tithe because I bought a new pontoon. You can't afford not to. I said you can't afford not to. You know what's happened in this life that we're living? I think social media has had a lot to do with it, but when people have financial problems, I find a lot of times that we're wrapped up in our identity by things. People know us by our things. And God says, here's your answer. I've provided a means for rescue, but we turn it down. No, that's dirty water. I've got to have all that stuff I can't afford. Somebody help me preach this morning. We desperately cry out to God for help in our dysfunctional marriage. And then an opportunity comes for counseling and we snub our nose at that. And then, no, that's dirty water. Mm -mm. No, not them. I can never go to them. Lord, they could never know that I'm having this problem. Pride. I said pride. God might have given the means, but you've got to be willing to get in the dirty water if you want the answer to your problem. We cry out to God for healing. I know I probably won't get help on this one. If I got kicked back at 845, and I've always said the people that come at 845 really love Jesus. Why else would you come to church at 845? We cry out for healing, and God gives us the opportunity to change whatever is in our lifestyle that's feeding that sickness. And we keep puffing away. Or eating away. Or drinking away. Uh-huh. And we wonder why the God of healing refuses to restore our health. We cry out. This is something else I've learned. In this social media modern world that we have, I have never come across more people in my 47 years than I do today that are absolutely relationship dependent. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You gotta have, gotta have a man, gotta have a woman. Dear God, in this day and time, I hope if you're a man, it's a woman, and if you're a woman, it's a man. Somebody help me this morning. If you're gonna have to have something, at least get it right. Somebody help me preach. And if you want the same thing, that's a whole other sermon, and there's something wrong with you, but Jesus can fix it. Somebody say amen. But relationship dependent cannot function without a relationship. You ever known anybody that way? I've had people come and sit down with me and talk to me. They're crying out to God to get closer to God, but you know why they're talking to me? That boyfriend or girlfriend that was not good for them anyway, cut off the relationship with them, but they were so wrapped up in that person that they fail to realize it's the very answer to the prayer they've been praying. Sometimes God will sever relationships in your life so that you can get closer to Him. And if you're looking for somebody, that's fine. That's great. That's what you should be doing. But find somebody that's so wrapped up in Jesus, you've got to find Jesus to find them. Don't just tell me you met them in church. I'm like the Facebook meme. Churches are like hospitals. And not all the patients are responding well to treatment. 
Just because you met them in church don't mean they're God's man or God's woman for you. Maybe those people are just distracting you from getting to where God wants you. But God's intervening and we miss the intervention because He severed that relationship. And if you don't think that happens, remember with me, if you will, the instance in the New Testament, I'm almost done, where a group of desperate people gather to desperately cry out to God for help. Their highly esteemed friend, brother in the faith, Peter. You know the story, Peter had been wrongfully imprisoned. And the church began to pray they needed God to intervene. So God does intervene. And miraculously, Peter just walks out of jail free. But Peter shows up at the house where they're praying, desperately praying, and he knocks on the door. When he knocks on the door, Rhoda comes to the door and answers the door, and she sees the answer to her prayer standing right in front of her. And what does she do? She proceeds to shut the door in his face and turn around and go back and pray. I wonder how many times we slam the door in the face of God's answer to our cry because we don't like the form, the fashion, the shape, the cost, the flavor, the pain, or the discipline that it might take to access the answer that He's already given. I came to tell some of y'all this morning, there's not a lot of y'all that are like this, but maybe some of you that feel like you're going to pray and fast and cry everything out, but yet you miss the answer when it gets right in front of you. Get off the floor and just open the door and look for God to send the answer. And I'm going to tell you this morning that God is unlikely to send another answer until you accept the one that He's already sent. He sent Jesus as the answer for man's sin problem. And listen, most men didn't recognize Him. They did not embrace Him as the Messiah. But you hear me well this morning. Their lack of acceptance of Him didn't cause God to come up with a plan B. Somebody say amen. Didn't cause God to say, I guess I'll do another solution because they're not believing. No, God doesn't have backup plans. God hears our cry. God sends a solution. And it's up to us to accept the solution that He sent. And sometimes we're so busy praising and praying that we can't even recognize the answer to our prayer. We don't see it for what it is. Because sometimes we have so boxed God in to our idea of how the answer should come. We're praying for an answer, but we're telling God how to do it. Sometimes we've so boxed God in to what we think church ought to look like. Oh, yeah. Boy, I've really caused y'all to get quiet today. We've so boxed God in to our idea of how we think God ought to move. Used to, we don't have this problem here much anymore, but used to, uh, in, I don't guess we've ever really had it here, but I've seen it before in churches that we box God in to an idea of what it looked like when somebody was really in the Spirit. If they didn't shout like this one or dance like this one or whatever, then they was in their self or in their flesh. Listen, you do you, boo, and let everybody else do them. We box God into what we think it ought to look like. But what if, what if our help comes in an unexpected or an unwanted form? What if, what if you want help? And God spits. Yes, I said spits. I almost had one right there. Did y'all hear that? 
Glad I didn't get it. I'd have had to do something with it. Amen. But what if you pray and God's solution is spit therapy? But let me, I know that's funny. But hear me well this morning. We got to come to the place that if the power's in the dirty water or the power's in the spit, rub it in. I need it. That's where we got to come to the place at in our life. We got to recognize and embrace the answer. So they come to the music today. One last thing I want to share with you, and don't miss this. Don't miss this. You may be somebody else's help. You may be somebody else's help. You may very well be God's help wrapped in flesh. We hear people cry for help. And then we sit back and we wait on God to do His deal. But what if God's deal's already been done in you? And you're supposed to be the one to do something about it. Friday, as I was preparing for this message, I was praying off and on. I do that a lot. Just talk to the Lord because I'm in my house by myself with my dogs. My dogs either have learned I know Jesus really well or they think I'm crazy. Either way, it's fine. I was just talking to the Lord off and on and three different times on Friday, He impressed me to text somebody, a friend that's hours away, that's they're a minister of sorts. They're not a preacher or a pastor, but they definitely do a ministry. And they were preparing for something. I had knowledge of that. And, and the Lord impressed me three different times. Just reach out to them and ask them if there's anything you can do to help. And I, the first two times, I'm just being honest and transparent with you. I just prayed. And I overrode it. And I just prayed and said, Lord, help them. Because reality was... I thought, just as sure as you send that, you're going to get another job to do. But I heard the Lord the third time. I picked up the phone and I texted him and I said, hey, I know you're working on this. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I love you. And three times today, God's asked me to reach out to you and just see if besides praying, if there's anything I can do to help. They text me back. It wasn't anything hard. The Lord was just using me to be an answer to their prayer. They were praying about something unrelated to what they were doing than the event that they were planning. Unrelated to that, but they were praying about a personal situation in their life and they said, I just finished saying, God, I wish you would send me some help. They said, God used your text. I don't need you to do anything for the event except pray. I just need you to know that God used your text to remind me that God hears my cry for help. What if you are the solution? You know what? Instead of hearing people's cry for help and just dismissing it and thinking, well, I hope they get what they need. What if the church was a body of people that would find a need and then fill it? Outside of these walls, find a need and fill it. Become somebody's answered prayer. See, I think too many of us underestimate our role 
in God's ability to answer prayers. He sends us. He used me on Friday just to send that text. He uses us. Somebody else's help might be contained in you and it might be very simple. It may not cost you much of anything. And here's a sobering thought. If you don't respond, they might blame God. Reality is, they should blame you. I said they should blame you. It wasn't God that didn't respond. God put it on you and you put it off. Don't let somebody go without God's help because you're unwilling to be God wrapped in flesh. So as I close today, I want to say this. If you need help today, any kind of help, won't you try asking for it? I said, won't you try asking for it? Some of y'all think, preacher, you have no idea what I deal with or where I'm coming from or you don't know anything about me. Try Him. I said, try Him. All you have to do is say, help. It really is that simple. This is the last thing I'm going to say and I'm going to close. When I was drafting this sermon on Friday, some of y'all get a kick out of this. The Lord's given me illustrations before for me to do an illustration, but actually the Lord, it was rather strange. The Lord's never done this before. He used me in my own illustration to illustrate something to me on Friday. And so I was sitting there at my desk and my home office is on the front of our house and there's a bay window there and there's like five windows in that thing and had the blinds open and my neighbor was walking her dog. And you'll understand why I've told you that part in just a minute. The Lord spoke to me and He said, cry out for help with desperation. And I sat there and I thought, now Lord, and then I realized I'm in my house by myself. So I, you don't hear me say this a lot. I don't, I'm not one that says a lot the Lord said. But I heard the Lord say that to me. Either that or somebody else was in my house talking. And they knew what God was speaking to me about. So there's that. He said, cry out for help with desperation. And I looked out the window. And I saw Janon Corbett walking her dog down the street. Great neighbor. And I thought, Lord, I can't do that. She's going to hear me. Think I'm in this house needing help. The Lord said... Cry out for help with desperation. And I went, help! The Lord said, do it again. I thought, I can't do it again. She'll hear me a second time and she'll come. The Lord said, cry out again. I went, help! Now either she heard me and she could care less that I was dying inside the house. Or I've got soundproof windows. I don't know which it was. She just kept minding her own business and walking the dog. But then here's where the Lord got me. I wasn't getting it yet. And he said, now do it again. And this time, as you hear it, imagine it's Abby or Shelby crying out for help. And I went, help! And I could see Abby like she was in trouble. And I went, help! And I could see Shelby on the campus at U L. And I, God said, do it again. And I went, help! 
My heart began to beat inside my chest. And I just started hollering help. And I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I losing my mind? And God said, that's exactly how I feel when my children cry out for help. So I came to tell you this morning. I don't care how righteous or unrighteous you may feel today. If you need help in your life, if you'll just cry out for help with desperation, God will hear and God will show up on your scene. David said, he heard my cry from his sanctuary. I feel the Lord right now. You're in the right place today. Now, I'm done up to here with people trying to analyze and figure out what somebody else needs help for. Mind your own business and let people get help for what they need from God. Stand with me all over the room today. You may be here and you may say, Pastor, I hear the message and the word today, but the help that I need from God is... I'm not where I need to be with Him. If every head will bow and every eye will close all over this room right now with nobody looking around. I'm not where I need to be with Jesus this morning. That's the help I need in my life. I need to get right with God to know that I know that when I go out into eternity, I'm going to go out and meet Him. If that's you and you're in this room this morning, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it back down? Thank you. Yes, I saw hands all over the room. Yes, thank you. I'm just not sure that I'm ready to meet the Lord. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Church, I want you to begin to pray this morning. Anybody else? I'm just not ready. I don't know that I'm ready. Yes, thank you for that hand. I've seen them all over the room today. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you don't know what to say or don't know anything else to say, I promise you, all you've got to do is say, Help, and God will show up. Help, I need a Savior. Help, I need forgiven. Help, I need deliverance. And God will show up in your life. There's a room full of people here right now that will testify with me to you that Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life.